Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would like now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Veronica. Hi everyone, my name is Veronica. I'm a compulsive overeater and bulimic. And um, it's good to be here, even though it was really hard for me to show up today. Keeping it real. Um, I'm abstinent since July of 2009. My abstinence is no purging no matter what. And my food plan is three meals a day, two optional snacks. And um, I really enjoyed all the sharing. Like, we can go home now. (laughs) That's how I feel. Um, Really, really enjoy the sharing. And I related to all the sharing. That's why I come to OA. Because you guys are the only guys that get me. You know, I can't talk to anybody else about my my eating disorder or my behavior around food or my thoughts around food. It's, It's a lost case when I try to tell a girlfriend, like, I can't have a cookie, you know. And, um... So I, I love you guys, and I and I need to be here, and I know that I need to be here. And it, it was hard to get out of bed today for me, um, but I'm here because you guys have, told, have taught me to show up no matter what, and that my feelings will pass. And uh, I have been struggling a little bit, so that's why it's kind of hard to be up here. Um, but I will share in a general way what it was like, what happened, what it's like for me today. And um, again, I want to welcome the newcomers. You guys are in a really good place. This is only always the only thing that has helped me abstain from purging. The only thing. Um, I'll share a little bit of what it was like when um, so I'm the oldest of four girls, and I have two older brothers, and um, I um, I am Mexican, and we have a very loud family. We love to eat. Eating is a part of all our culture. You know, if you have a feeling, here's a tortilla, beans, and rice. You know, um, you know the traditional tamales every Christmas. And um, from a very young age, I love to eat. I was an overweight child. Um, and because I was the oldest of four girls, I had to take care of my younger siblings, and I hated that. I, I felt like I was too young to be taking care of my little siblings, and I would just eat. I would eat, and it seemed like that would really soothe me um, for many years until I got to high school where um, all my girlfriends were getting boyfriends and all the attention, and I wasn't getting any because I was overweight. So I had asked my mom to take me to a diet doctor, and she did. And this doctor gave me diet pills, and I lost 40 pounds. And I felt really good. Love how those pills made me feel. Gave me a lot of energy. I lost all the weight. And then um, I lost the weight, and I go back to see the doctor for more pills. And he says, well, you're done. Like, you've lost all your weight. You know, have a good life. And I was 16 years old, and I was devastated, right? I was like, how am I going to, like, maintain my weight loss? 
you know, because I love food, and food is the only thing that makes me feel good and, you know, fills that hole in me. And um, so shortly thereafter, I discovered uh, eating and purging. And um, I was like, well, that's my solution. That's what I started doing. I started eating and throwing out my food. And uh, at the same time, you know, I, I mentioned that I was... I really love how the amphetamine pills made me feel, so I started using amphetamines also to also maintain my weight loss, so I thought at the time. And um, I was I started to party a lot. So if I wasn't partying, I was eating and throwing up. Because at the time, my, my main goal was like to maintain my weight loss, you know? And um, I, I lived like that for many years. I, at one point, I thought I was a drug addict, so I decided to get a job for the airlines where they drug test you. And, um, I needed a little incentive, you know what I mean? So I got a job uh, as a flight attendant, and um, and when I got that job, um, I stopped using drugs, but I started drinking every day, like my alcoholism just shot through the roof, you know, and my bulimia just got worse, because now I'm treating my you know, my thinking with food and, and alcohol. Like, it was like a daily thing. And for me, bulimia became like a habit. Like, I would eat, and the minute, I, I would say every day, like, today I'm not going to throw up. Today I'm not going to throw up. And then the minute I would overeat just a little bit, like, something would trigger in my head, and I'd go straight to the bathroom. And that just became like a habit for me. And, and um, I, I had a... like a big secret like I lived this big like I felt secretive all the time and nobody knew I don't think and um, because I was so ashamed I was so ashamed of of this thing that I have done for so many years and um, you know when I even on the airplane I would work uh, in first class and I would wait for all the you know passengers were fed and you know, a lot of good food in first class, a lot of high, high calorie, high fat, rich food. I would wait till all the passengers would sleep, and then I'd go to town. I'd, I would eat all the leftovers, and I'd go to the bathroom and throw up in that little lavatory. So gross when I think about it today. And um, that was my disease, you know. And a couple of times people would ask me, like, are you okay? Because my eyes would get bloodshot red, you know, after doing that. And it just became this vicious cycle for me um, up until I uh, decided to get sober. And I got sober. And um, at three years of sobriety, I was still eating and throwing up. And I was not sober living, you know. I'd be in the room thinking about what my binge was going to be that night. Like the turn the speaker. I'd be like, okay, tonight I'm going to go to this ride through and I'm going to get A, B, and C. And then I would feel better, just like planning it out in my head. And um, so I finally told my sponsor, I said, this is what's going on with me, because I was so ashamed. And, uh, well, actually, okay, right before I told my sponsor, there was this girl in AA. And this, this, is, this was what the attraction was for me. So you know what they say, it's attraction, not promotion. It's, you never know whose lives you're going to touch. But um, there was this girl in AA, and she lost a lot of weight, and she looked really happy. 
town. Like, I want what she has. What is she doing, you know? And so it turns out that she was coming to OA, and I had never heard of OA before. And um, so at that point, I started talking to my sponsor more, and I told her um, that I was having these thoughts, and I was thinking about food instead of the speaker, and so she suggested to come to an OA meeting, and she suggested to talk to a certain person at OA. Um, and so I did. I talked to that woman, because I, I was really done living the way I was living. Like, I had become desperate, and I was just tired of living that way for so, so many years. And um, so this woman, you know, she wasn't my first choice sponsor. Um, you know, she scared me a little bit, but I asked her, because I was desperate. You know, I want, I needed to change something, and I, on, on my own power, it wasn't happening. So I asked um, her to be my sponsor, and she told me to go to meetings, and then she gave me uh, some things to do, like write a yellow, red, and green list. And then we started working the steps, and um, I can't believe that I started not throwing up. It was like, a miracle, and it was just—I think it was just from coming to these rooms and seeing your guys' experience, and that you guys had done it, you know. And um, so that's what started my journey into OA. Uh, so at first, my food was really sloppy. Like my only thing was just to stay abstinent, you know, just not purging. And so uh, my my food was really sloppy, and I couldn't really get to. Um, I couldn't really worry about that too much, you know. I couldn't worry about, like, gaining weight. I mean, I, I gained a couple of pounds, I think. Not a lot, because I would remember that. Um, but I, um, I, did, I did gain a couple of pounds. And, but I started to become more aware of, like, the things I was eating. But it, it was slow, though. It's very slow. I had to... Um, I had to find out what worked for me. Over time, you find out what works for you. And the more honest you are with your sponsor and the more honest you are with yourself, you start to realize what works for you, food-wise. And for me, it's very clear today, at almost eight years of abstinence, what works for me and my food plan. And um, so, um, so that's how I came to OA, and I've been abstinent. And, you know, I've had a lot of a lot of good things happen in abstinence, and a lot of not so fun things happen in abstinence. Um, when I got sober, two years into my sobriety, I realized I had married the wrong man. That I had I had married for all the wrong reasons. You know, I was very unhappy. I uh, was walking around in AA, feeling like a fraud, and so. Um, I was terrified to get a divorce because I come from a big family. Like, I've always been taken care of. I've never been out on my own. And when I would meet people in, in program and they would tell me, like, they have an independent life, like, their own, their own space, their own job, they're self-supporting, like, I would be like, that's what I want, you know. But I was too afraid because I was always taken care of, you know. And so when I started working the steps, I had this spiritual awakening where I was very unhappy. And so... Um, I told my sponsor, and she helped me through that. She helped me get through that divorce, and um, and it was really, really painful and really hard. 
And so I would tell my sponsor, like, I'm afraid God's going to punish me. And she would tell me, no, you have to, everything's, everything's falling into place for you, you know, everything was just God's will, God's will, you know when it's God's will because everything falls into place, you know, you're not really fighting anything, and that's what was happening for me, you know, because we would do all this step work and it, things would be clear, you know, if you, if you just put the food down, things become clear to you of why you, you're having certain feelings over certain things. And so, um, I, like, I couldn't, I couldn't, um, I couldn't pretend like the red flags weren't there anymore. You know what I mean? So, uh, she really helped me through that. And then, um, after my divorce, I, I traveled around Europe, abstinent, like, I stayed abstinent through that. And even though I was really afraid, like, I took that action anyways. So, you know, Nikki talked about, um, you know, I love Nikki. I, I love your enthusiasm. <laughs> Lovely enthusiasm, you know. And usually I'm pretty enthusiastic, but um, it'll pass. So, uh, so I, you know, I, I would be so afraid to take certain actions, but then, like, I, I would take the action anyways. And then every time I would take that action... I would, it would be like I gained more faith in God, you know. So even though I, I was scared, I would just take that action, like when I traveled Europe on my own or when I went ahead and, you know, um, went through and got my my divorce and I was terrified to do. Because then, then when I got divorced, I had to eventually get my own place, which I got my own place when I was like, when I'm 45 now, when I was like 37 years old. First time ever in my life I lived by myself, and that's all programmed. Because I was, when I showed up to sign the one-year lease, you have to pay rent for one year, all right? For a whole year. You're, you're signing this piece of paper saying you're going to pay rent for a whole year. And I'm 37 years old, and I had never, ever paid rent on my own. Like, like I said, I've always been taking care of, and I was like, I signed the lease, you know? And I was terrified. I don't think I slept that first month. Because I'm so used to, like, noise and, like, people. and and um, But I did. I did it. And this, that's all because of the program. The program has taught me to, like, I just take the action anyways, you know. And, um, like, today I love living by myself. I can't believe I didn't do it sooner. <laughs> you know, I envy people that say they leave home when they're, like, 18 or 19 and they just go out on their own. I envy them, you know. Because uh, if, you know, if it's up to my mom, I can live with her still today. <laughs> my sister's 44 years old. She still lives with my mom today. I'm being serious. And um, so anyways... So that's uh, some of the really hard things I've been through in abstinence. And more recently, um, I shared about me struggling is because, um, you know, I have a really good life. I I still work for the airlines, although that could be really challenging with my work schedule because I travel, I do a lot of international flying. And if, if I'm not spiritually fit for that day, it shows up in my food. And... Being in OA, I've I've learned a couple of things along the way. Like, I have to prepare my food. I have to. So I have to take my food with me on my trip. Things that that I can travel with and um, 
Because, you know, when I travel, if I don't have food with me, I feel panicked. I, I feel panicked, you know, and that's part of my disease. So um, I have to prepare my food. I do my readings in the morning. And um, so there's a lot of work that goes into being abstinent for me in OA and being comfortable. And that's the part of what Jonah was saying about it's the pain. Like, this program is a pain. I related to that because... It is a pain. However, the results are so much more bigger if I just do the work and I have to just do the work, you know? And um, so, so the reason I've been struggling is because my, um, my mom got a hip replacement in January and she's 76 years old and she lives in Torrance, I live in Santa Monica, so that's not far, and there's a lot of us, right? So I was really scared, and not all of our family members were on the same page about how to care for our mom. And so I'll never forget, like, day three in the hospital, like, they make you walk the same day you get hip replacement. And um, day three in the hospital, doctor's like, all right, your mom's going home now, she's good. And I was like, no, you can't, you, we got to keep her here, like, I who's going to care for her? And they had, they said she can go to rehabilitation, right? Or she can go home. And so the doctor highly recommended for my mom to go home. <clears throat> well, that would mean that we would have to take care of her 24 hours a day. So I called my sponsor, and I knew what the right thing to do in my heart, in my gut. You know, if you stay in program long enough, you know the right thing to do. You can't, you can't avoid it. You know, that's what they talk about, the intuition, you know. I knew in my heart, like, I had to bring my mom home and take care of her, especially because the doctor kept saying, like, people thrive better in their homes. And, um, but I just had to get the okay from my sponsor. So I called my sponsor that day, and I said, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. I got to, we got to decide. And only two of us, six siblings, wanted to bring her home. And so, guess what? Us two are the ones that got that were um, in charge of taking care of our mom. But we brought her home. We brought my mom home, and she did really well. And she's doing really well. And I have to. That's all because I believe that we brought her home, and we gave her like all the proper care that she needed. And she's still doing really well. And it was. It's so hard, though. It was so hard to take care of. Our mom. One weekend, I thought I was going to lose my mind. I thought I was going to lose my mind, and um, I. Um, it was just hard for me to see my mom in pain, and that she's getting older, and it's like a different type of sadness for me and, and abstinence that I've never experienced before, and um, and also she has dementia. My mom has dementia. She forgets things. So now is now that she's healing from that hip replacement, which I was so worried about, and nothing happened. I, I spent so much energy worrying, and nothing happened. She's doing really well. In fact, the therapists tell us she's advanced. She's ahead of the game, you know. And now she's having like these memory problems and these, you know, she lost her dentures last week. Like, they're seventeen hundred dollars. I took her to over like 10 dentist appointments to get those dentures. And the first thing when she told me I lost my dentures, I was like, 
oh my god, I'm going to be inconvenienced again. That's the first thing that comes to my mind because I'm selfish, you know. And I, but my response was, it's okay, mom. It's not a big deal. We'll get it taken care of, you know. And uh, and then she lost her car keys a couple of days ago, and my mom's still driving. All right, I gotta trust in God about that. <laughs> 